Good morning and welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent, a spiritual home that welcomes all, no matter whoever you are, wherever you come from, whomever you love. May you leave your daily burdens at the door, open your minds and hearts, and be fully present for this time of fellowship and spiritual re-energizing. I'm Reverend Christy Anderson, a member of this congregation and today's worship associate. Our worship leader today is Kathy Kearns. We are glad to have Sarah Smith joining us today as our guest musician. This morning, if you are interested in today's topic and would like to have a conversation with Kathy, uh, following today's worship service, she will be meeting about 10 minutes after the uh, start of coffee hour over at the Annex, where it's nice and cool for anyone who would like to continue the conversation. We give gratitude for the gift of this day and for this time of fellowship. Come one, come all. Come with your missing pieces and your extra screws. Come with your hard edges and your soft spots. Come with your bowed heads and upright spines. Come all you flamboyant and drab, verbose and quiet, fidgeting and lethargic. All you with large vision and tender hearts. All you with small courage and tender fears. Bring your lisp and your stutter and your song. Bring your gravel and your drawl and your lilt. Bring your anger and your joy and your righteous indignation. Misfits and conformists and everyone in between come into this space and be welcome. Bring who you are, bring where you've traveled, Bring what you long for and let us worship together. A number of years ago, our church switched auctioneers for our service auction. In preparation, the auctioneer went online to gather jokes about Unitarian Universalists. He shared the following with us. How do Unitarian Universalists define diversity? Answer? Four different colors of Priuses in the parking lot. <laughs> Out. Former radio host Garrison Keeler relayed this story on the air. There was a terrible car accident. A woman was lying in the street covered in blood. Someone in the crowd shouted, call a priest. The woman opened her eyes and responded, I'm a Unitarian. Then call a math teacher. <laughs> This reflected the bemused attitude toward Unitarian Universalists who take pride as rationalists, not only in our thinking, but also in our worship. He also says that a Unitarian Universalist is, quote, someone who approaches every question with an open mouth. <laughs> In fact, it's also been said that arguing with a Unitarian Universalist is like mud wrestling a pig. Pretty soon you realize the pig likes it. <laughs> Let's face it, 
There are some truths to Unitarian Universalist stereotypes. Our holy book is Robert's Rule of Order. We get our ecstatic high from the caffeine in our fair trade coffee. Our holy trinity is the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. Indeed, many of us are middle class, environmentalist, rational thinking debaters. What about those who don't fit this stereotype? How do we look upon people sitting beside us in the pews who regularly shop at Walmart? Don't replace the catalytic converter when it falls off their car to avoid expense and prefer to get their high from Red Bull in plastic bottles. Come, let us ponder and grow as we worship together. I offer you these wisdom words from Tich Nahan. In a true dialogue, both sides are willing to change. We have to appreciate that truth can be received from outside of, not only within our own group. If we do not believe that, entering into dialogue would be a waste of time. If we think we monopolize the truth and we still organize a dialogue, it is not authentic. We have to believe that by engaging in dialogue with the other person, we have the possibility of making a change within ourselves that we can become deeper. I offer you this prayer from Ann Mason. Spirit of life, your very presence among us is what gives us connection. Help us to sense that beneath our feet is the strength we need to keep us grounded. Help us to feel that behind our back is the protection we need to feel safe facing our fears. Help us to know that before our eyes lies the beauty we seek to feel astounded in. Help us to lift our heads high enough to be aware of the vastness of the sky and of our spirit. And help us to know that within our hearts lies the love we need to complete the circle of connection in our lives. We are grateful, spirit of love, for this day. May we use all of these gifts our feet, our backs, our heads, our hearts, to bring love into this hurting world, the world which we so value, which we cherish. Amen. Our reading for today is stories shared by ministers and members of UU churches. This reminds me of a story my wife Andrea, a multi-generational UU, tells about one of her brothers. Brian told the person he was talking to at social hour that he was a carpenter. The person automatically assumed Brian was not college educated, which he is, and then directly asked him why he would ever come to a Unitarian Universalist church 
since he was obviously not the right type of person. This person never learned that Brian grew up UU and has a sister, brother-in-law, cousin, and an uncle who are UU ministers. The person I was with surveyed the parking lot and said, it looks like there are a lot of Prius cars here. That must mean there are quite a few UUs staying in our hotel. We once had a truck and we drove it into a UU parking lot. That was not good. <laughs> the salary of one woman in my congregation does not allow her to afford a smartphone. People in my congregation can't seem to get that, she said. They keep saying, I'll send you that on your phone. And I have to keep saying, I don't have a smartphone. I greeted a visitor one morning, a young man whose father had been a UU. He revealed that he worked in a steel mill. I knew that mill. A friend of mine had worked there as a quality engineer. In my mind, I envisioned this young man working with my friends solving engineering problems. But it turned out that he was a worker there. I didn't say, just a worker, but he heard it anyway. When I asked if he was an engineer, he stopped and looked at me, then looked around at the other members. He then made his way out and never came back. There is no excuse for this kind of careless prejudice. We started what we call silver and gold dinners, where there's eight people that kind of get to put together and we go to each other's houses for dinner. When we were eating and we were talking, everyone there travels extensively. They talked a lot, you know, about going to Italy and being in Europe and that kind of thing. And you just kind of sit there, like you really have absolutely nothing to add to the conversation. It's times like that that I feel lesser than, or like I don't fit in. I'm the one that they come to when the heating isn't working or the air conditioning isn't working. Like, well, you know, you're working class, you should know how to fix this. Look, I'm just a member like you are. Why am I supposed to be able to fix this? I think that's a reflection on my working class status. There's a lot of other people around here. Why aren't you asking them? I've never asked that question. Maybe I should. Several years ago, when I was the church treasurer, I asked another member if there were any accountants in our congregation. When the person named a member who was an accountant, my reaction was one of utter surprise. This person that I knew as a fun-loving, banjo-playing, extroverted jokester with many practical skills, some of you know who I'm talking about, uh, with many practical skills for repairing our aging church building was an accountant? We all carry around cultural stereotypes, and I am embarrassed to stand here and reveal that I was carrying around such a narrow view of what it meant to be an accountant. 
We all know stereotypes can be harmful as they lead us to make false judgments about others based on some surface characteristic, preventing us from seeing the other person fully and authentically. Our racial justice work here at church has been partly about creating awareness and openness toward how we see others of a different race. This work calls us to appreciate and welcome diversity in our congregations. What stereotypes or beliefs do we have about people who are Unitarian Universalists? Christy referenced some of those in the call to worship. Are they based in reality or are they false beliefs? UU congregations are often described as primarily white, highly educated, and middle class to wealthy. There is some reality to this description, yet does it lead us to then conclude that Unitarian Universalism will only appeal to this demographic? How welcoming are we as a denomination and in this congregation to people who don't fit this demographic? Our faith has much to say about how we are called to be in the world. Our seven Unitarian Universalist principles are statements of ideals we wish to manifest in our daily living, and they include, among others, respecting the inherent worth and dignity of all people, showing justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, and acceptance of one another. Our congregations exist to offer a healing love to all who need it, to help us transform ourselves, and to work toward creating beloved community. So an important question is, how are we doing as a denomination? Are we open and welcoming to all, or are we only accepting of some types of diversity? For example, even as we are welcoming to people from different races and cultures, are we accepting others only if they fit a certain profile on education, income, and cultural knowledge? Some Unitarian Universalist ministers think so. In his book titled Elite, Uncovering Classism in Unitarian Universalist History, the Reverend Mark Harris writes, we assume that our Unitarian ancestors were almost all wealthy Boston blue bloods. We also assume that all of our Universalist ancestors were poor country bumpkins. Although these stereotypes are not entirely accurate, perhaps some of us still want to believe we are an elite group of people who had a privileged past, at least on the Unitarian side. We say we aspire to be democratic and inclusive, but we are comforted by our litany of influential and prestigious forebears. Many Unitarian Universalists are torn between who is actually sitting in our pews and who we wish was sitting there. Do we really want multicultural communities and diverse churches? In a thought-provoking talk, the black UU minister, Reverend Karen Hutt, expresses her perplexity and concern for how many white, middle-class, Unitarian Universalists talk about their working-class relatives. She notes that UUs like being allies to people of color, 
yet often express contempt rather than empathy for the white working class, who she refers to as the scapegoats of our time. While expressing gratitude to fellow UUs who are speaking on behalf of racial justice, she issues this challenge. When are you going to make the lives of those working class cousins matter as much? The stories we heard earlier about working class people who felt unwelcome in our congregations should give us pause. Are we as a denomination truly welcoming to all who might resonate to the principles of our faith? One place to start the conversation is by examining the meaning of social class. Sociologists and psychologists have a long history of studying social class. Traditional definitions and measures of class focus on three things, income, education, and occupational prestige. But we know that class is also cultural and is associated with certain attitudes, beliefs, and life experiences. Sometimes it can be hard to see cultural assumptions when they are part of our everyday experiences. In the racial justice literature, people talk about the conditions of white privilege. Peggy McIntosh provides some examples. You can turn on the TV or read the front page of the newspaper and see your race represented. You can be pretty sure of having your voice heard if you are in a group in which you are the only member of your race. You are never asked to speak for all people of your racial group. So this got me thinking, what about the conditions of class privilege? What might be some of the assumptions, beliefs, and experiences of people who are middle or upper middle class? Here are some of the conditions of middle class privilege that I came up with. Car trouble is an annoyance rather than a crisis. Someone in your family can give you advice about how to navigate higher education, how to apply, how to succeed in college, etc. You have the means to live your values without much sacrifice. For example, if you want to, you can buy organic food or a Prius. You can outsource jobs of daily living you do not have the time or inclination to do, such as cleaning your house or yard work. People are not likely to judge you harshly if you spend your money on nice things. You probably attribute your outcomes to personal qualities rather than to circumstances of your birth. Appeals for money at church are not uncomfortable for you. When meeting new people, you often discuss what each of you does for a living. You drop references to the musical Hamilton in conversation and assume that everyone understands them. None of your friends smoke and you have never been to a demolition derby. Your work schedule is flexible enough that you can easily take off for doctor's appointments or your child's school activities 
or take breaks for personal phone calls. Well, perhaps this is a good time to pause and state explicitly that I'm not suggesting there is anything wrong with the attitudes, behaviors, experiences, and beliefs that I just listed. Nor do I want to suggest there is anything wrong with being middle class, just as there is nothing wrong with being working class. The point is that class status brings with it some conditions and assumptions, and it is good to be aware of what they are and to recognize that our own experiences, whatever they are, are not universal. Not only are they not universal, but they are just different and not inherently better. They are also not required attitudes, beliefs, and experiences to be a member of a Unitarian Universalist church. The seven principles are not part of these cultural attitudes and beliefs. It is also important to recognize our different experiences as a way to promote understanding, compassion, and a welcoming presence for all in our congregations. Awareness of differences from a non-judging place can be an antidote to elitism. As Ruben Navarrete says, elitism isn't about having money, power, or fame. Some people have those things and aren't elitists. Elitism is about a frame of mind that says because you live in the right city, went to the right college, have the right job, read the right newspaper, or even eat at the right restaurant, you're vastly superior to us mere mortals. Elitism is certainly a threat to creating a congregation that is welcoming and offers love to all. Wanting diversity in our congregations is a noble aspiration, but also a spiritual challenge. If we want a congregation welcoming to all, we will extend our love to those who are different from us. This can take us out of our comfort zone as we work to connect to others who may not share our cultural compass points. How welcoming are we to people who, do, who we do not view as our stereotype of the typical Unitarian Universalist? How is our congregation doing, especially in its welcome to people who do not identify as middle class? In some ways, our congregation is progressive regarding welcoming people from different social classes because we are somewhat more diverse on social classes than many UU churches. There's another side to that story I told at the beginning about discovering that the extroverted banjo-playing member was an accountant. When I reflected on that uh, interaction later, I realized that I don't know what a lot of people in this church do for a living. And I don't know because it's not the first thing that tends to come up at coffee hour. And I realize that I'm actually grateful for that. Uh, I'm grateful because it provides a contrast to my workplace. I recently retired from Kent State University where I was a faculty member. My husband, who has worked as a truck or school bus driver for many years, dreaded attending faculty parties where so much of the conversation, even for spouses, revolved around what one did for employment. What we do for a living can be a part of our identity and for some people a very important part, so I am not trying to suggest that it should be a taboo topic of conversation. But it's good to realize that a focus on employment may not resonate with some people and could be awkward if it leaves someone feeling judged. 
there are ways our congregation has modified our practices to be more welcoming to people from different social classes. The National UU Class Conversations Group suggests a number of ways to promote a church environment that is welcoming to all, and we have incorporated some of them. This includes modifying the water communion at our in-gathering service so it doesn't seem like a travelogue. <laughs> some of you apparently remember those days. Providing free childcare for church events and capping event costs for a family. It is often difficult for members to attend events like our denomination's annual meeting due to cost, and a few years ago we added a leadership development fund to our church budget. Any member can apply to receive money to attend training events. I give only partial credit for this one, though, because I wonder how many members know these funds are available. There are other suggested practices we could incorporate. When people purchase things for the church, do we expect them to spend their own money and get reimbursed later? Perhaps we could provide money up front instead. Are church events only scheduled at times convenient for people who work typical nine to five hours, such as weekday evenings? Do we present as ethical obligations things that are difficult for some people to do? For example, I have had more than one person in the congregation mention to me they felt judged for their food choices. Not everyone wants to eat vegetarian or is able to pay the premium prices for organic or free-range food items. Creating a loving, welcoming community is not just a matter of church policy, it is a matter of the heart. The Reverend Karen Hunt, in calling for Unitarian Universalists to examine how we are welcoming people from the working class, says we can't cherry pick which people to choose to give our compassion. She says if we want to create the world anew so that all kinds of people feel valued, loved, respected, and worthy, we need to work at connecting with others through relationship. We need to talk to people who are not like us with open hearts. She suggests one way to do this is to focus on hearing one another's stories. As Arthur Brooks says, to understand others and help them understand us, we must make a human connection. And the way to do this is through stories. As we hear other people's stories, we can find ways to connect on a deeper level. We also open ourselves to the possibility of learning from others. As we enter into dialogue with someone who may have a different worldview, we have the possibility to gain a new perspective. As Thich Nhat says, for a true dialogue, we have to believe that truth can be received from outside our own group. Engaging in a true dialogue seems to me to be an antidote to elitism. In closing, I leave you with these words from Maureen Killeran. In these hard times, let us look first to the response of love. In the midst of challenge, may our chalice flame bear witness to the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. In the midst of uncertainty, 
May our chalice be a beacon of encouragement that our values may guide our choices. Let us look first to the response of love.
Okay. Thank you, Sarah and Vanessa. That was beautiful. We leave with these words. With humility and courage born of our history, we are called as Unitarian Universalists to build the beloved community where all souls are welcome as blessings and the human family lives whole and reconciled. Let us leave today with this vision in our hearts and minds. <laughs>